0: what's going on podcasting world welcome back to another episode of the core console rx podcast this is episode 126. Not to be confused with the last episode when I also said it was 126 because I can't.
1: Oh, did you? Count numbers correctly. Oh, man. So, so there was no episode 125.
0: I even labeled the, the file, like the MP3 file, uh-huh. incorrectly. So now it's going to cause mass confusion when <laughs> I
1: export this file <laughs> on, my, on my computer. Well, you know you can just right click and rename the old nope. one nope not gonna happen not gonna happen too much work <laughs> too much too much post <laughs> just gonna wing it and
0: hope i don't have two episodes that have the same there front. is
1: no post action happening There's here th- that is too much zero
0: so no. let the computer <laughs> export it and then hopefully it gets to where <laughs> it needs to go okay well doing 126 again yeah Good. man so uh 2020 coming to a close yeah most likely gonna be our last episode the only the thing year. it
1: cost us is the office coming off of netflix
0: Right, yeah. It's The only bad thing that happened in 2020. Well,
1: to get rid of all the bad things that happened, we we had to pay with the office. We I was watching the office just out of nostalgia because it's to yeah. be gone in a couple of days, and they just have it big letters like um, uh, this will no longer be available after December 31st, probably warning because if it just disappeared, there'd probably be riots in the streets. Probably. So I'm glad. I that wonder if it's a region know. thing. Like, no, if you I,
0: use, like, ExpressVPN, you know how you can, like, change your location, like, uh-huh. a different country. You know, opens up new stuff on Netflix. Interesting. Yeah, because sometimes you'll, like, want to watch something that's only available in Canada. Oh, yeah. So I switch and say, I'm in Canada now. And then my laptop's like, I guess he's in Canada. I wonder if the UK's losing the office. If they're not, then I'm totally doing that. Yeah, it's easy. V- ExpressVPN. Brought this episode. Brought <laughs> Not really. But, uh, no, it's pretty cool. Interesting. It's basically, the only reason why I'm not that worried about cybersecurity, even though I should, probably should be. And I've already gotten in trouble with, uh, not in trouble, but I had the IT department from Charleston Southern University mm-hmm. contact me because I was checking my email in the Netherlands because <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to turn the stupid thing off. And they were like, uh, we just want to verify that you're in the Netherlands. I was <laughs> like, yeah, i pop over here once like, oh, in a while. <laughs> Check it my out.
1: Vacation home it's is. My, yeah, it's one of my vacation Beach spots. Beach side it's Netherlands cool over here.
0: home. It'd be awesome. I wish that was the case, but it's got to be more fun than here and being here in uh december mm-hmm. but uh so some new stuff going on with you in your life professionally yeah man i uh i'm currently unemployed <laughs> cole was uh unfortunately can't
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally got fired now i found a new job that's awesome man so, Yeah, i will no longer be in uh, community pharmacy be uh, more in a clinic clinical role
0: heck yeah yeah
1: i'm excited dude that's awesome Very i'm pumped cool. for you i figured this is uh, you know inevitable this is gonna happen but yeah
0: i feel like this is uh kind of happened pretty suddenly.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I enjoyed my time in um, community, but I did always kind of see myself working in a clinical environment, so I'm excited to have that, for yeah. sure. And my schedule will be different, so we'll definitely be recording more podcasts. Yes. me and Mike are on the same schedule now. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. We've only recorded... I would check today. We've
0: only put out three episodes a month for like the last oh, like, two or three months. Oh, no.
1: Can't a- happen. Amateur hour. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go from having three nights a week open to like seven. Yeah. So... A whole new world. It really is. It's gonna be great. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, Cole's got a new job working in the clinic, working with some specialty meds. Specialty drugs, yeah. It's Expensive gonna be pretty stuff. awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, that's gonna be really, really cool. But uh, yeah, so today, um, we we're supposed to have a guest on. We had to have a change of plans because of some scheduling conflicts, um, but we're gonna have her on um, hopefully next episode and we'll get, make up for it. So today we're actually gonna do uh, a pretty, I wanna say cool's not the right word. Um, but, uh, Uh, yeah,
1: the patient probably didn't think it's potentially
0: complex patient case. Um, but also kind of reviewing some of the stuff we've talked about before, but, um, yeah. And I also too, I want to make note that I, we're already going into the case within the first Three and a half, four, four minutes of the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We have to
1: dilly-dally more Uh, that, Right?
0: (laughs) My most recent comment on YouTube was uh, episode starts at nine minutes and 23 seconds.
1: Okay. Well, listen, I want to give, I don't usually give anecdotes about being recognized, but I will give this one because (laughs) uh, I was calling to get a transfer from a prescription local pharmacy. And um, obviously, I never really talked about where I was working in community, but I said my name's Cole and calling from so-and-so calling to get a transfer, she said, Oh, are you the cold that records podcasts with Mike Corbino? I was like, Oh yeah, do you listen? She said, I recognize your voice. <laughs> um then she said she listens and she really enjoys it. I was like, Oh that's great. You know, I appreciate hearing from a from a listener. She said, Yeah, but and you know, I, I know y'all talk about it, but I do love your uh, asides. And when you kind of get off track, I think it's really entertaining. And I was like, thank you. Thank I appreciate you. Somebody. That. I know. Thank you. Whoever you are, you're the best. So I think it's a, I think it's a minority of people who get bugged by that.
0: I don't know. It, it, it's it's a, it's a very vocal minority <laughs> <that>. <laughs> in the old comment section. Well, it's just like, you They're know, like you, dislike, I don't want to have to hear you talk about stuff. It's like that's like
1: Yelp or Google reviews. Yeah. Like you go on there if you have something bad to say, unless you're, you know, just a very considerate person and want to review something positively.
0: Yeah. Have you ever done that? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Which is, yeah, it's probably. Uh, Maybe not, we should do that. We should get some good karma coming our way. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, so for those of you who hate that, I'm sure you're hating it even more because well, I just
1: wasted another two minutes. We're past five minutes, so there we're, go. Go. we're we good. We're good. We
0: can continue now. I feel like breeze. we feel like we talk nonsense. Yeah. All right, so let's dive into this thing. I'm going to pull this case up real quick. We'll give you some kind of brief background. Um, so this patient. 34-year-old male, um African American patient. Uh again, 34 years old. Um currently blood pressure at the most recent visit was 150 over 88. Um A1C was um down to, it was 9.4 I think a couple months ago and then now it's down to an 8.1. Um the even bigger concern than his diabetes and hypertension is his EGFR, which is currently sitting around 15, and that's where it's been consistently for a while. So Not great. He is end-stage renal disease at a very young age, mm-hmm. so it's very, very unfortunate.
1: And we think caused by um, uncontrolled hypertension and diabetes? or uh,
0: I would imagine. Um, we haven't found any other cause at least at this point. Yeah. And he's scheduled to go actually see, he's never been to nephrology. Um, My God. So I know. And so we've gotten him an appointment with nephrology and all that. And it was a cost thing. And so our case yeah. manager's been working with it and all that stuff. So he has an appointment with nephrology, but we had to kind of get him. Started so we, uh, me and uh, one of the awesome PA's that I work with, uh, Miss Lundy. I won't say her last name because I didn't ask if I could. <laughs> but uh, one of my one of my buddies from work, um, she's awesome, and uh, so I told her I was going to do this case on the podcast and and all that. So um, her and I were kind of working together a little bit on this. She's it was her patient, and uh, I was just kind of looking through some of the meds and stuff with her, and uh, so figured it was a good.
1: Good summary of a lot of things we've talked about, a lot of principles, at least we've talked about in the past. With a um, significant hitch thrown in, and that is in stage renal disease. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, EGFR 15, um, uh, serum creatinine is 5.39, so higher than we would like. Um, yeah. Potassium right now is 4.5, um, sodium is 145, his carbon dioxide, or bicarb rather is 21. Um, calcium is an eight, so low. Mm-hmm. Um, he has and his
1: albumin is two point two. Yes, low.
0: low albumin. Um, he also has an albumin creatinine ratio of get ready five thousand seven hundred and seventy two milligrams per gram of creatinine.
1: Man, so. we could use his urine <sighs> as a protein shake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, so that's definitely higher than we'd like as well. Um, and uh, vitamin D, 4.9, so oh, about as low as we can get. And uh, LDL, 253, um, triglycerides, 193, so his total cholesterol is 329. Um, he also has a, where is it? Uh, Hemoglobin level of 8.9, which were not no surprise there with his Mm -hmm. his adrenal disease. Um, Now, what's a little odd is I shouldn't say odd, but some I think surprising, I guess, at least for me, was I was really expecting his iron levels to be off as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But his MCV is actually 83. So, um, iron deficiency anemia, we typically see microcytic, so it'd be less than 80. Um, 83 MCV, his iron iron, um, binding capacity or his TIBC, um, is 159 or, or 156, which is a little low. Um, uh, but his serum iron is 54 and his, um, T-SAT is 35%. Mm. So that's not low enough. We actually, we haven't gotten a ferritin level. Um, we, we have to order one of those still, um, but it wasn't included in the initial, um, anemia workup that, uh, they sent us, but, um, you know the basically with his T saturation um, being above thirty, uh, we'd have to get a ferritin level to see, but um, we probably can get by without iron replacement, um, especially since his serum iron levels are are normal at this point, low low side of normal, but still normal. So it'd be something just to monitor closely. Um, but his hemoglobin is low. He also has uh, elevated uh, phosphorus, um, four point five. So little bit elevated um now we also got a parathyroid and we're if you're having trouble keeping up with all this stuff we are going to go back and break these you know and talk about the whys for some of these labs but um the parathyroid there was an issue with the lab so they just sent us back uh, an error instead of saying that we needed to correct this so we could get him back in there so now yeah. we got to get him in for parathyroid my guess is it's going to be elevated yeah. i'd be very very surprised if if it wasn't um But uh, phosphorus is, calcium's low, vitamin D's low, kind of all the things that we would expect to see, you know, in a patient with, you know, chronic kidney disease, especially this far gone. Yeah. So, um, couldn't calculate an ASCVD risk, um, basically just because of his age, um, but- Obviously, we don't even need to because his, his LDL is above one, is 190 or higher, which right. is in the 200s or something. So um, he's an automatic candidate for a statin and he's mm-hmm. not on dialysis yet. So we don't have to, because that's where we wouldn't want to start right. a tour of a statin if he was already on dialysis, but he'd probably still benefit from it at this point. Um, now, med wise, it's... He's not the best historian as far as what he was taking. Currently, when he first came to the clinic, uh, it, like a month or two ago, he was not taking like any medication whatsoever. He was taking, I think, he was still on his metformin sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe injected insulin every once in a while.
0: Yeah, and he wasn't even aware, like aware of what the name of the insulin was, I believe. So like it was something that um, he most likely was using his insulin, um, and so he was basically on no, you know, con- medication to control his blood sugar, but, um, hypertension wise, he was on amlodipine and then he had HTTZ on his record, but there was, he said he hadn't had it in a while and all that. So, um, he was only taking it to, um, amlodipine and, his, and it's, he was getting that from like a friend of his or something. Um, and so it was a whole thing.
1: So, so it wasn't his prescription. Was, well,
0: he had been prescribed it, but then it was out of his. So he was getting it from somebody else. And instead of coming, you know, establishing care and with, you know, yeah. so going back to his original physician or whoever, you know, he just was, it was like, it was one thing after the other. that right. was not great. Um, and that was about it as far as medications. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, definitely, you know, I want to say... It's not super complex in that, like, we didn't do a lot with his medications, but we're going to kind of go through some of the whys of what
1: we did do. So as far as, um, well, I would think that especially with obviously him not being very adherent and not having a great knowledge of the medications he was going to be taking, you would want to keep it relatively simple if possible to, you know, yeah, once a day, a torostatin, you know, insulin or whatever you're going to do, keep it pretty simple. Yeah so as far as
0: you know kind of working through some of this um what do you think you want to start with his ckd sure yeah all right so obviously his egfr being where it is he's in stage renal disease, stage five technically um or you know right on the edge between four and five and so there's a few kind of electrolyte imbalances that we would we would expect so the the First thing that we typically would see um, is phosphate levels starting to go up. So, which is what we're seeing. Um, phosphorus is obviously excreted from the kidneys. So, if you're not, if your kidney function is not sufficient enough to actually get rid of that uh, phosphorus, then you're going to start building it up in the system. Um, typically, the other thing that usually happens as well is you'll see calcium go down as well Um, and the reason for that is kind of like a downstream effect but what ends up happening is your calcium absorption depends on the person's vitamin D activity so when you think of like vitamin D3 we're getting from like um, ultraviolet light or a supplement um, or D2 like from a plant-based vitamin D um, either of those when we take those those are not activated in our system they're not able to actually do you know vitamin D's job which is the main one is absorbing calcium from the diet and so they have to go through two different hydroxylation reactions in order to actually reach its active metabolite and so first one is in the liver and second one is in the kidneys so and if we've talked about this before in the podcast but if your kidney function declines uh, then obviously the ability to activate vitamin D all potentially can decline as well and so when that Goes down, um, your vitamin D levels go down, which is are very low. Uh, the the body's not able to absorb calcium from the diet appropriately, so your calcium levels start to go. So why is that an issue? Besides, we don't want to be messing too much with calcium. Um, the way that your body kind of tries to maintain homeostasis is by basically. Um, Activating like resorption of the calcium from the bones So you actually get a decrease in your bone mineral density because it's trying to pull that calcium out of the bones uh, In order to you know raise your calcium levels up now This is usually futile after you know a short period of time you may get a little bit of a correction or at least slowing down that calcium loss But eventually it's usually going to be continuing to to go down Um, The way that it kind of activates that bone Break down the osteoclast um, activity in the bone to break down the calcium is, uh, or break down the bone to get to the calcium is parathyroid hormone. So, we usually see parathyroid hormone levels go up, which is why I said most likely this patient's is going to be elevated, even though we haven't gotten a level yet. That signals that uh, the calcium, you know, the osteoclast activity to kind of um, start breaking on that bone mineral density, get that calcium out into the system, and then allow the patient's body to use it from there. Um, the other thing that can activate that higher level of parathyroid hormone is that buildup of phosphorus in the system. So they kind of all are connected in a roundabout way, but they it's kind of like the perfect picture of what we'd expect to see right. in CKD. So the first thing I guess to address is do we need to fix the phosphorus? Uh, at this point, because his phosphorus levels of 4.5, mm-hmm. um, we typically would only do that or we would just want to treat it, but we would only do that with... Uh, basically a phosphate restriction diet.
1: Right. So not necessarily a phosphate binder yet.
0: Exactly. Um, And we're typically thinking about a phosphate binder when we're getting into higher levels like 6 or so or if it's consistently above 4.5 for a period of time despite trying adequate diet changes and things like that. But really, like, if the patient's presenting with, like, a 6, you know, phosphorus of a 6, that's when we're really like, okay, we need to go ahead and do the diet restriction but also add in a phosphate binder as well. So at this point, he's probably okay. Now, again, reiterating, he's going to nephrology. So they're much more qualified to handle this by far.
1: So uh, you mentioned the vitamin D, but obviously treating, like you said, with D3 or D2, wouldn't would be fruitless. So you mm-hmm. would need an activated vitamin D, like calcitriol, would be what you would need to treat with.
0: Exactly. So calcis, like when we talk about v- activated vitamin D, it's one twenty five dihydroxy cocalciferol, also known as calcitriol, which is way easier to pronounce. And so there's actually a uh, um, the supplement, uh, artificial synthetic vitamin D that's already in its active form, which is like he will say calcitriol that you can um, give the patient in order to kind of bring those those levels back up of of basically the thought is you're bringing your calcium levels back up because your vitamin D is correcting
1: to improve the calcium and decrease the um, bone breakdown
0: yeah and the other piece of that though is now we have to really monitor calcium closely because you don't want to overcorrect calcium and make it go too high Mm -hmm. so you know then then you have a whole nother issue and you have to start looking at possibly using a calcium emetic and and all that so that's as of right now, we're going to control the phosphorus with diet. Um, we would look to give calcitriol to basically correct that low calcium level and then really monitor calcium closely to, to make sure we don't overshoot. And then if we do, then we'd have to consider giving a calcium emetic, like sense of par or something like that.
1: Right. So the other piece of this is uh, what we mentioned with the protein shake, and that's that he's spilling a whole bunch of protein. So um, albuminuria is anything over 30, and his is 5,772. So obviously with the GFR that he has, he's not going to be able to process the protein adequately, so it's going to spill. Uh, And that sort of brings us to his blood pressure medications because the question is, well, what can be done about it other than, you know, possibly decreasing some protein in his diet? Uh, so he's been taking amlodipine off and on, but either way, that was the medication that he was prescribed. So we've talked about that uh, before in relation to kidneys on the podcast and how the dilation of a specific um, uh, arteriole will uh, increase the amount of protein possibly um, that is spilled. And so it could actually worsen his proteinuria. Um so we might want to switch them to something else. And so usually what we talk about is ACEs as being, um, renal uh, but there are reasons to be hesitant. And so you want to be cautious, uh, in this patient. So we talked about is creatinine being extremely high. It's 5.39, um, ACEs can cause an AKI in the short term, um, or at least they can lead to that when upon initiation. So it's definitely something you want to monitor for closely. Uh, but why would, Mike, you could probably speak to it better. Why would we, we potentially want to start one, even though there's some things to be hesitant about with this guy?
0: With the ACE inhibitor? With the ACE inhibitor. So, because originally th- the thought process was, you know, that once a person reaches a certain like baseline serum creatinine, we would, be contraindicated to be on an ACE inhibitor because we don't want to have to worry about that risk of AKI. Um, Well, now, if you look at like the Kodago guidelines, they basically will say they don't give like a specific like cutoff for a, a, a serum creatinine as far as it being contraindicated basically saying if the patient has um a albumin creatinine ratio that is above 300 especially like we need to give them an ace inhibitor and then just really monitor serum creatinine, potassium and all that stuff so this kind of came about from the study that was done in 2006 that was in uh, new england journal of medicine and it was unfortunately there's no fancy like title for it. or some quick name for the studies. You can't say the blank trial. You have to just say the effect and safety of Bonazapril for advanced chronic renal insufficiency. That's the name
1: of it. We'll just make up an acronym for it. Well, we'll I'll, work start, on, I'll start we'll, thinking while you talk okay,
0: about it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so basically what they did is they took patients um, who uh, were not on dialysis and there's a couple different groups, but the main one I want to focus on is the group that was um, had a baseline serum creatinine of 3.1 to 5. Um, and then they were given benazepril or placebo. And what they were basically looking at was um, like uh, the primary outcome was a composite. And they were looking at how often the patient had a occurrence of creatinine doubling, um, officially reaching end-stage renal disease. Um, so needing, uh, they defined it as basically needing dialysis to start dialysis or needing an immediate renal transplant um, or death. So. And doubling and stage renal disease and death, all you know, blumped into one composite. And they compared benazapril versus placebo. And what they found is that there was a significant reduction in that primary composite with the benazapril group. And the, um, the number needed to treat was only five. So that's a fairly low number needed to treat. We're not used to numbers that awesome. Right, five is pretty awesome. Five is pretty awesome. Um, they also had a significant reduction in uh, doubling of ser- occurrence of doubling of serum creatinine level uh, by itself. a um, Significant reduction in occurrence of a patient reaching end-stage renal disease, again defined by them needing dialysis or a renal transplant. Um, uh, significant reduction in proteinuria by itself. Um, significant reduction in the rate of GFR decline, um, and then also the rate of renal function decline. Um, calculated by a different way. So all these other secondary outcomes were also in favor of Benazepril as well.
1: And this guy's right on the cusp. So um, they did specifically look at stage four chronic kidney disease, EGFR 15 to 29. So this guy is 15. I mean, he's really, he's he, he, he's pretty close. So he's right, fits right in there. Uh, and so hopefully could get that benefit. But you'd want to monitor closely for AKI even still. And And is BACRI would be the acronym. As as BACRI. (laughs) Is BACRI. So you heard it here. Um,
0: But, um, and and I think Cole mentioned this already, but the monitoring that that 30% increase from baseline because we would expect it to go 15%, 20%. If it goes higher than 30%, then we need to really be careful. Um, And also monitoring the potassium in him because he's already a 4.5 and he's also, um, because his kidney function and his electrolyte imbalance could be pretty easily out of whack. Right. So, so while
1: it would take close monitoring at first, the goal is to have some long-term benefit and hopefully a little bit of possible reversal of how, how far his EGFR has gone, get improvement in his uh, blood pressure, and um, we will tackle diabetes in a second as well, whereas amlodipine over time could possibly uh, make his kidney function decline faster.
0: And since we're, we're talking about the um, the amlodipine thing too, I, I will mention, because like Cole was saying earlier, the the reason for that with amlodipine, if you, have, if you only have amlodipine, you're only dilating the afferent arterial. Um, you're not dilating the efferent arterial. The, uh, so you basically get more blood flow into the glomerulus increases interglomerular pressure because that efferent arteriole is not dilated. And that's, what's going to cause that, you know, proteinuria and spilling a protein, um, from the amlodipine But the reason I bring that up again is because a lot of times when we ask students about, you know, why, why does, uh, cause peripheral edema? This is totally side subject, but I get a lot of students that get this confused because they say it causes peripheral edema and they start giving me the, the uh, physio- pathophysiology behind the urea mm-hmm. adverse effect. It's the same concept, but it's not in the nephron right. if it's causing peripheral edema. Basically, what's happening is you are, your precapillary bed is getting dilated, um, but you're not, so arterial side dilated, but you're not dilating the venous side the post-capillary bed. And so you're getting it's the same concept, but you're basically getting intercapillary pressure going up. So you're, those capillaries are swelling, and so that's why like if you have peripheral edema from amlodipine you can't just give like a diuretic to get rid of that because it's not a fluid retention problem. It's actually like a capillary swelling with blood problem, mm-hmm. and so you have to actually give an ACE or ARB in order to dilate the the venous side, the postcapillary bed side, in order to like relieve that. Um, peripheral dem or at least reduce it or you'd have to stop the amlodipine completely, which a lot of times is not
1: a good option. See Mike's a tougher preceptor than me because if they could at least give me the the part incorrectly thinking it's the nephron, I'd be like, great job. You know, it's you know, it's good that you you recognize that Mike's like, no. Not I go, right I go, enough. I, I go, eh, <laughs> wrong.
0: Wrong. <laughs> Try better. Don't get off my rotation. No, I'm just kidding. <sighs> I would never say that. But um I, I just I I hear that a lot, so I always like to clear that up because I feel like that's an easy one to and it sucks too because I always they had that look on their face of like they
1: got you, they, you know, like, they're oh like, well, I know that yes! one
0: and that's that's a complex you know thing that a lot of people aren't aware of and they're so excited to tell me and then I have to just destroy it <laughs> destroy <laughs> I have to destroy their confidence <laughs> but I I try to bring it back after that but yeah so um, basically going to give Benadryl ten milligrams okay and we're we're going to kind of monitor. His serum creatinine very closely over the next couple weeks and see to make sure he doesn't have a, an AKI, um, and then kind of go from there. And again, pushing him towards nephrology, right?
1: And and these, yeah, because these electrolyte things, uh, are tricky, so you, you do want to be cautious and get a specialist involved, all right? So
0: that is the uh, the proteinuria. Thing, um, also too, I will mention uh, because there there's used to be terms like microalbuminuria um, and things like that. Now they basically have it broken into um, albumin creatinine ratio score. So they have A one, A two, and A three um whereas a1 is basically a uh, albumin creatinine ratio of less than 30 a2 is 30 to 300 and then a3 which is what we normally would have call or macro. before called macro i don't know um, so what's the if it's all basic why do they switch those things i, I don't just know. don't get it there was literally like a note in uh, kind of a com- from slides at a conference i went to and it said avoid using terms like microalbuminuria like I just learned how to pronounce that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a nightmare. The amount of times that that was mispronounced by us in the first hundred episodes.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: I, I mean, I do like a two and a three. I mean, it's like different types of steak Way sauce. Easier to say, but I mean. I, it all means the same, so why switch it? I, don't know, I just don't understand. They yeah. do that to guidelines all the time. It's like, are those guys paid to make these guidelines? If they are, then they probably get together and they're like, hey, has anything changed? And they all look around each other and they're like, no. And they're like, well, we're going to change something. Change Otherwise, something. what are we doing here? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Could you could know be I mean? exactly what's going on. And then all the students have to learn new stuff. It's a nightmare.
0: <laughs> we're going to call them cold down here in just a second. But <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Off the rails, getting worked up.
0: So going back to um, just kind of go through the different parts of his CKD. So we've talked about the phosphorus levels. We've talked about the vitamin D levels and his calcium. Um, so hopefully keep him from having that bone mineral density loss. Um, talked about the proteinuria and uh, hopefully curving that, which we'll come back to blood pressure here in a second. But um, hopefully the pro will help protect his kidneys from at least declining as quickly. Um, and then we mentioned uh, the hemoglobin levels are very low. So um, they were 8 point something. Um, find that much here, but they were in the 8s. And so, but his... 8.9. 8.9. So less than 10, um, which is for non-hemodialysis patients is, you know, usually uh, something that we're thinking about maybe bringing those levels up a little bit. Um, but so he's 8.9, his iron levels, which is the first thing we would need to correct. So if his, if his ferritin levels were low and his, um, uh, T-Sat was low, um, and low being like less than 20%, um, then we would need to correct that with iron supplement first, or even in some cases, IV iron. Um, once, if those are not, in some places they still may give an iron supplement as well. I, um, I haven't done enough. I haven't spent enough time with neuro, nephrology to, for them to, to see how it's done just in everyday clinical practice. And from like a primary care standpoint though, um, like, an even up to date recommends that if their, um, T-SAT percentage is above 30, they don't recommend giving an iron supplement because they don't think it'll help all that much. Yeah. Um, so there you go. It's not just me. It's up to date.
1: <laughs> blame those blame up to
0: date. Um, uh, but, uh, the one thing that we could potentially consider and this is 100% going to be coming from uh, nephrology would be using a, an erythropoietin stimulating agent um, to get his levels up and so like things like um, uh, uh, epoetin alpha or um, or uh, I think the brain name is a uh, uh, Arnicep mm-hmm. for that one. Um, basically, we could potentially give him one of those agents, which would then hopefully increase his hemoglobin levels and um, hopefully get some of his like fatigue and some of those anemic symptoms um, at least decreased, not necessarily fixed. Uh, but the big thing uh, to do, the, to kind of note with those agents, is we're never going to normalize our hemoglobin levels so Mm -hmm. like it's not like we're going to try to push them back to a normal level of you know 13 or something like that so there's an fda warning on those agents uh, that says basically if you increase the hemoglobin levels to a 15 above 11.5 that the um, risk of death mi stroke Um, VTE all that goes way up and then actually comes there's a study called the choir trial I want to say it was like 2013 I don't have it in front of me Um, and basically they compared normalizing the hemoglobin levels versus more restricted hemoglobin levels and the group that had the more normal levels that were I think their their goal was going to like 12 or 13 um, they were basically significant increased risk of stroke and all that all that bad stuff so, we definitely do not want to normalize them, and, and in fact, usually keeping it between ten or eleven. Um, some people, I definitely know, more than eleven point five would be where you'd want to stay. So, just to kind of throw that out there, we're not trying to get them back to baseline. Kind of like we're not trying to get like his A one C back to baseline either. Right. Once you have diabetes, it's going to cause more harm getting him there than right. it is, you know, benefiting him long term. Good comparison. Hey, thanks. <laughs> just just came to me. <laughs> but um, And good transition, right into diabetes. Almost.
1: Almost, okay. I got, so.
0: I got one more thing. Um, bicarb. So I think, um, do you have it pulled up still? What was his bicarb level? I said uh, 21 or something. Where is it? I got to quit minimizing uh, <laughs> my sheets here. I think his bicarb level was 21. Mm-hmm. So usually, um, you know, that's not super low by any means, but um, one thing with giving sodium bicarb is you can um, reduce the progression of, of CKD. And so he also may be a candidate for uh, bicarb therapy as well um, to put him on sodium bicarb uh, daily. Um, and you can take up to the max is um, I think it's ni- 19 hundred and fifty milligrams three times a day. Um is uh yeah. So it's quite quite a bit of um of of bicarb. But you're typically starting at six hundred and fifty milligrams twice to three times a day and that's sodium bicarb. And uh Basically by putting that back that regimen back on you're delaying that CKD progression like I said um, But you're also improving like overall nutrition status um, and potentially Reducing the risk of fractures and things like that which he's already at risk for because of his potential for bone mineral density loss Luckily, he's not that old so that that helps Um, adverse effects if you are gonna add on sodium bicarb things like pulmonary edema, hypernatremia, which he's already, like, right on the edge. Yep. So that's the other thing to
1: consider. And that's um, 145
0: right now. Yeah, so he doesn't have any room for error there. Um, GI intolerance is a common one. Um, peripheral edema, things like that. So some definitely things to consider, which is, again, I keep keep reemphasizing why he's going to nephrology <laughs> and not staying with us. Um, but those are things that uh, to kind of keep in mind as far as trying to maintain his um, or really slow his decline before he actually is officially starting dialysis.
1: Nice. So yeah. that's his kidneys. That's his kidneys. It's a lot a with the kidneys, huh? A lot. Yeah. Again, that's why nephrology. <laughs> so his other less acute issues, but still um, can play a part in his kidney function, are going to be his diabetes, hypertension, and then the hyperlipidemia. So you want to start with diabetes? Yeah. So, uh, like you had said, he wasn't really sure of the name of his insulin. Um, but insulin is pretty much one of his only options right now. If you consider most of the oral agents, uh, they're all going to be contraindicated with his EGFR being 15. Uh, if you think of the staples of, um, uh, uh, metformin, even, uh, the SGLT twos, like you were saying that, um, Uh, They have, you know, possibly some Reno protective effects. Um, They're still contraindicated in an eGFR that low. Did you say 25 was?
0: So that's the new, like, um, baseline, or not baseline, that's the new low that they've studied down to. I think it was the CKD-DAPA, or DAPA-CKD. DAPA-CKD. Yeah. Mm Basically, uh, they because before they were originally I think it was 45 um, an eGFR of 45 that, that was kind of like the cutoff for the inclusion criteria in those those initial like SGLT2 studies, and then I think Jardines was the first one that studied some patients down to 30, and then now we have data down to 25. The big takeaway with that is um, even if we start getting data that shows which they look very promising in CKD you know, patients as far as like preventing the patient from, or at least reducing their um, risk of mortality and, and, and progression of renal disease and all that. Um, the problem is, is from an A1C standpoint, the closer you get to an EGFR of 30, the, the less effect on the A1C you have. You maintain the renal protection, but you do not maintain the a1c lowering mm-hmm. properties so i think we saw that first with the credence trial if i remember correctly um with invocana and basically you know we, we saw that when you add that to um a patient who's already on like ras blocking agent uh that we do that we do get renal protection that's what kind of sparked all these studies that are now happening where they are looking at it in ckd patients but um and even the, the new Cadigo guidelines that came out um, this year, the CODAGO uh, diabetes management in patients with CKD uh, was just updated, I think, this month, and they mentioned um, that they do they do recommend after metformin, as long as there's no contraindication, which this guy unfortunately has one, mm-hmm. um, that they want the patient to be on an SGLT2 until the um, EGFR, I think they want to say they say 30, um, gets below 30, they don't recommend anymore because you're not going to have much benefit there. Benefit, yeah. So that's out unfortunately. Um, and then metformin's out. and uh, th- one thing it's it's also interesting is the patient's renal function has been fairly stable and and so we got him back on insulin. and so that's one of the reasons why we saw we draw a, a drop from I think nine point four down to an eight point one where it is currently um percent uh, percentage GNC one um, c in like maybe a month or mm, so, but that's yeah. because we got him back on insulin. yeah normally speaking, if if this was a condition that had been progressing and you know, all the and this isn't the case with him, but I want to throw this out there just for two cents. If you have a patient who is not taking the right medications or is not changing anything with their diet and all of a sudden, their diabetes just seems to be way better controlled, it's probably, check the kidneys Mm -hmm. they may have had some recent decline in kidney function because insulin is metabolized in the kidneys so if you are not able to um, break down that insulin uh, because your kidney function is not there you're basically allowing insulin to hang around a lot longer Mm -hmm. so he's needing less insulin now than he did before you know anyway because of his kidney function but throw that out there for some two cents because I have I have had a patient very excitedly tell me one time I haven't changed a single thing in my A1C so much better. It's like, I have good news about your A1C, <laughs> but bad news about your kidneys. So, yeah, unfortunately uh, for him now, I will say that the Codago guidelines do mention their preferred agent, um, which is a GLP-1. So we put him back on insulin because that's what he had already been on. However, if he's having starts having issues with lows or anything like that, then we're going to consider him for uh, GLP-1 to... Yeah, and he has access to patient assistance to where we can get him on one so we don't have to worry about the, the cost.
1: Right. And so those are our, um, those would be the pretty much primary two options that you could consider. Yeah. And otherwise, so you would just have to taper his insulin mm-hmm. appropriately to, to get him.
0: Yeah. Cause if, if, I mean, technically speaking, you could use like a dpp 4 inhibitor if you want to add something on, like the a one, oral agent, but yeah. it would have to be Trigenta. Yeah. Trigenta is the only one. It's the only one that doesn't require renal dose adjustments. And, um, but yeah, I mean, with his renal function, um, it's going to be usually a GLP one or insulin yeah. at this point. His glucose today is one sixty seven. Yeah, random draw. And he also got a appointment to see the dietitian to talk about you know lifestyle because you know we asked him. The, I was in there when they asked him about his his you know what he likes to eat and stuff like that. And his diet is definitely not on point. Yeah. <laughs> so um, definitely some some room to to go there. And hopefully once he gets that under control, it feed takes that seriously, then we can start reducing some of that insulin
1: requirement anyway. So that's diabetes. We've hit uh, most of hypertension. His blood pressure today was 149 over 88, but that's going to tie in closely with his kidney function. So obviously starting benazepril 10 milligrams, and monitoring from there. Um, if he had been on HCTZ, stopping that, and then stopping gamalodipine. The so I do have
0: one thing I want to add to that, though, because this is kind of interesting. So, because the big question now is, like, what would we do He's so an African American patient, so we do know that the calcium channel blocker is going to be more effective technically. Right. Um, but uh, from an overall standpoint of a like you know blood pressure lowering, um, we have things um, like the ASK trial, which compared. Um, an ACE inhibitor with a beta blocker and a calcium channel blocker um, in patients um, with chronic kidney disease, and it was um, in an African American patient specifically because that was the big question: well, Would we keep using amlodipine? But again, with the problem with proteinuria you know can make that worse. You know, are we going to get more bang for our buck with an ACE inhibitor in that particular? case and what they found they used ramipril in that study and the they used metoprolol succinate um and amlodipine as well and they compared them all together basically from a blood pressure lowering standpoint um definitely a little bit um lower with an ace there was no difference between ace and calcium channel blocker however progression to um ckd like is as far as like um end-stage renal disease and all that and the worsening of your CKD was significantly better with ace inhibitor compared to a calcium channel blocker mm-hmm. um and also compared to a beta blocker no difference between a beta blocker and ccb mm. so beta blocker still not a good choice yeah but it kind of just shows that one after you see that that benazapril study that they did in cqd shows that it's a good choice and then also um this is another just example he kind of fits in with the The patients, you know, in that group, he did the inclusion criteria was eighteen to seventy, so he actually would have been probably a candidate for, uh, for this study. Um, as eGFR was a little, little bit too low, but close enough. We'll call him good. <laughs> we'll call enough. him included. And, um, um, but yeah. So then the next thing I would kind of wondering thinking, trying to think ahead is what do we add on?
1: Right. So. But um, so she's got some room to to go with Bonanza Pro. Before yeah, his
0: and he probably won't even need it because his blood yeah. pressure is not that high. Right. But worst case scenario, if he does,
1: right. this, um, is, we're, this is a podcast. We talk about whatever we want. Whatever so now we're we gonna want. just there's you no know, rules. Assume here. he does need a second agent because
0: I want to keep talking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and
0: so the other thing to think about is okay, second agent. What will we use? Potentially amlodipine because at least if you add on the ACE. the ACE with that, you're lowering the chances of you know causing the whole issue with proteinuria. But um, there was another study, which, again, doesn't have a stinking name, um, but it compared in to HCTZ in patients with um, renal insufficiency and um, hypertension. Basically, what they found was both of them had pretty similar blood pressure lowering, which, again, it's that whole accomplished trial thing where you're getting... Mm-hmm. Decent blood pressure alone with hydrochlorozo- hydrochlorothiazide, but not getting the, but outcomes. not getting those outcomes. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, indapamide actually restored um, some of the the patient's creatinine clearance. Um, they had a twenty-eight point five, um twenty-eight point five increase in creatinine clearance um, with indapamide, whereas hydrochlorothiazide was associated with a seventeen point four percent decrease in serum or creatinine mm. clearance and the other piece of that is thiazide diuretics. Uh, typically we think 25 right. you know you per minute you stop indapamide you use it down to 10 interesting so he would be a good candidate in my opinion um in my humblest opinion um <laughs> for uh for using indapamide um as a secondary agent if we needed one and um i i brought that i actually called uh, Dr. Wayne Wirt, if you guys, the, the grandmaster of them all, and ran this by him, and, and I mentioned in depth of mine, I was thinking more from an EGFR standpoint. He was like, he's like, yeah, exactly. He's like, plus, don't forget about that that study where they compared it against HATZ And I was like, now they say that I do remember it. I heard him talk about it before. I was like, I didn't think about it right away. So I realized... I'm not as smart as I think I am.
1: Well, I mean, not <laughs> as smart as Wayne Word doesn't mean much because that's true. That'll, not too nev- many people who that'll are. never
0: happen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, so he brought this study up, so I appreciate that. Work, give you a shout out. Um, and uh, but, indapamide is one of those the ones that we, for whatever reason, tend to not really think about. You know, yeah. We always go to clothalidone, but indapamide actually gets even better um, blood pressure lowering in a lot of cases um, than clothalidone. Does when, like, that meta analysis they compared them to HCTZ, uh, you got a little bit better with endapamide. Um, you can use it in lower, um, creatinine clearance or EGFRs, so it's just it is a and it's in the four dollar list at Walmart, mm-hmm. so it's definitely a good diazide like diuretic that I think you guys should check out, yeah. And it's got outcomes, and they've used it in patients all the way up to a hundred years old old people, yeah. yeah, so I'm really on this in- train right now.
1: <laughs> I used to be on the Cloth train just from a straight cost and like so if somebody if one won a four dollar list, it is slightly more expensive, but if with insurance, it's fine, but if someone's uninsured, you know and you're having to choose it's slightly more expensive
0: was HTTZ free
1: htZ uh, is like dirt cheap, but um I'm talking about Clodon for some oh that. yeah, slightly is probably more than a little bit more expensive.
0: But yeah, and Dapamide, the way to go. $4 less, cheaper. And and if you're worried about the $4 list, think about this. <laughs> if $4, you go find some friends and get some money because it's better than having negative outcomes. Because that's that c- gonna be
1: way more cost-effective. Like that's very living
0: true. is gonna be way more cost effective, probably.
1: <laughs> than going in the hospital with a uh, MI. Right. Or you're something.
0: Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So that's my two cents on that. So Banazo is most likely gonna be the only agent that he needs in-depth mind would be my backup plan if you need something else
1: else. yeah so that's his hypertension Mm -hmm. last thing would be his lipids which his ldl is extremely high um 253 which is probably associated with the fact that he doesn't have any um Uh, hyperlipidemia therapy currently and like you mentioned his diet is not on point i think was the quote um so yeah starting him out with it being over 190 uh even though he has not had any events previously right Mm -hmm. no yeah he's he'd be primary prevention um but still he he's definitely indicated for a statin and it seems reasonable to go with high intensity since Mm -hmm. he's not on dialysis yet
0: so basically to recap because we've done a couple episodes i think on dyslipidemia Mm -hmm. but remember if it's primary prevention the there's a couple things to consider before you start breaking out your ASCVD calculator because I know you guys like that calculator. It's a good calculator. It's pretty solid, but um, a couple of things to con- consider would be um, if his LDL is 190 or higher, automatic going most likely high-intensity statin um, because we got to get it low. They want a reduction of 50% or more, which is indicated right. by high-intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, if that wasn't the case, which already, he, regardless of what his ASCVD risk is, he's already a candidate for that. But even if that wasn't the case, then the next thing would be his diabetes. So, again, even before you bust up the calculator, he's automatically a candidate for at least a moderate intensity. Um, A Torva 10 would be the evidence-based dose of that because of the CARDS trial. Um, And then if neither of those were the case, then that's when you go to that crazy primary prevention table that the dyslipidemia guidelines have, the American Heart Association, not the ACE guidelines, just to make sure you... (laughs) are aware of the difference. Um, but the American Heart Association guidelines have that crazy convoluted table that uh, is like kind of like their fourth statin group. Um, that one applies only if the first two things are not true, which right. he would immediately, because his LDL so high. Because then you're high.
1: looking at age and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah.
0: And this guy automatically is going to be a candidate because his LDL is so high. Right. So um, definitely uh, he's not on dialysis as of, as of yet, so we need to probably get him on a Torva, and then just monitor for that, and then consider maybe stopping it when he gets on dialysis. Yes. Yep. But uh, what about? Oh, let's talk um, real briefly because we haven't mentioned vaccines in a long time, mm-hmm. and vaccines are everywhere. Hot topic these days? Hot topic, thanks to COVID yeah. again. I saw I me, mean, this is. Don't get if don't get offended by this because it's really not meant
1: to be offensive. But it was. Uh, <laughs> it's not good when Mike starts a yeah. joke with. Don't be offended.
0: No, but I saw a meme and it said that uh, it was some. It was like a tweet and uh, some girl had wrote, "My boyfriend is a healthcare worker and just got the COVID vaccine today. And unfortunately, the main side effect is that he cannot shut the heck up about getting the COVID vaccine. <laughs> He's
1: <laughs> posting it all over social media." <laughs> so, there wasn't a an soul, and it's funny because I people I know, friends and family members who've who've had it because mm-hmm. they're healthcare workers. I make fun of them for posting on a Facebook. Um, just jokingly, but, you know, they're very serious about like, no, I wanted to make sure everybody knows that we got it. And then, you know, my mom's like, it does give me confidence to see that people get on. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, that's fine. But yeah. everybody posts that they got on oh, every single person. Everybody's got their picture. Like, I'm a hero. The little sign thing. I'm a
0: hero. Respect.
1: I hear you. But ya. it's good. You need to get yeah, it. You do. Yeah.
0: I do I do hate wearing. Like I got one of those shirts when I was doing the, the COVID testing, like in the hazmat mm-hmm. suits and all that. They gave me a shirt that said, I'm a here, hero. And I was like... <laughs> I'm just kind of doing a job that I signed up for. A hero is a bit of a leap. <laughs> I haven't I haven't dove on any grenades right. or ran into any burning buildings at all. So yeah. the I have a hard time rocking that shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a little bit like a faker. Yeah, I know. I am like if I was in an ICU or something dealing with like the really, you know, frontline stuff maybe, but I'm like I'm a, I'm in right. a COVID. I'm in I'm in like a suit of armor against
1: COVID, S- sticking things up people's noses. Yeah, I feel less <laughs> less like
0: a hero wearing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> no regard to my own safety. Uh. No, just kidding. I'm. It was a good experience. But I'm We're glad. all heroes. I'm glad. You know, well, no. Just I, I hate it. I can't, certain I can't, people are heroes. Certain people are heroes. I can't do it. I can't get in the hero train for yeah, myself anyway. I feel either. too much like a faker. Me either. But anyways, um, so vaccines. Yes. Um, a couple things. One, um, pneumonia vaccine. So he's young. But, yeah, but CKD would actually, and this is one that we, when we think about like immunocompromised patients, we typically think of things, you know, HIV, you know, lymphoma, leukemias, um, like asplenia, um, different things like that, that you know are kind of like the standards. Patients have sickle cell, you know, patients like that that we would consider being immunocompromised and being a candidate for the PredNAR13 earlier than 65. But CKD is actually on that. List of making you a candidate for getting um uh, the prevnar earlier that they consider that like a I don't think I don't know if they have it listed as a immunocompromised they may have to pull up that chart but um they do have that listed as an indication to get um, prevnar 13 so because he is younger than 65 he would get prevnar 13 mm-hmm. which is the conjugate vaccine
1: you pretty much treat him like 65
0: right. And then, well, the difference is that the timeline, but getting the Prevnar or the Numavax 23, you would get it eight weeks after. Oh, because there's no Medicare. Because there's no Medicare involved. Right. The reason you have to separate them out for the older patients is because of Medicare. And he's going
1: to end up getting more PPSV 23 than most people.
0: Yeah. So he would basically be a candidate for Prevnar, eight weeks later, Numavax, and then five years from then which we'll have new new pneumonia vaccines by then so it won't matter he would get a second dose of Pneumavax. and then when he turns 65 he would potentially get a third dose of Pneumavax. 30 years from now there's no way we're gonna be using Pneumavax. right but in theory that's what he would he would get um but yeah he definitely is a candidate for for that hep b vaccine would yeah, also be another good he's one injecting. for him because he's been also potentially going on dialysis mm-hmm. um and Tdap would be another one to, to look at if, if he hasn't had a tetanus. Um, one of the things they do say is they used to say Tdap once in a lifetime except for women who are pregnant. Um, but And then they would say get a tetanus booster in 10 years. They uh, have changed – have said you can get another Tdap as well. And they're probably – my guess is they're going to change the Tdap guidelines pretty soon anyway to be more – free because there's no way that stuff's lasting 10 years. Yeah. Um, but uh, not uh, old enough for – the shingles vaccine, obviously. Yeah,
1: most of the time when people are getting this cocktail of they can get the shingles too, but 50 years old.
0: A little too young. Yep. But um, And the yeah. flu
1: vaccine, and now? Yes. COVID vaccine. COVID vaccine once it's available to everybody. he would be in group uh, probably C because uh, he's 18 to 64 with high-risk conditions. So you'd probably get it with those guys, I would think. Yeah. Yep. So just throwing some
0: couple things about the we haven't talked about vaccines in a long time. No, we
1: did a whole podcast on them. That was probably in the first twenty five episodes. Yeah. I had to guess. So there you go. Um what else? Anything else with this guy? No. You were on your game with the trials today, man. What was I? Crushing it, yeah. Thanks, man. All I, thought, of, I all thought off the top uh, of your head. It's amazing.
0: Well, I the I had the I had a couple of things pulled up in my notes so I can't it was on all off the top of my head and usually you can tell what's off the top of my head because I'm missing a couple pieces <laughs> I'm like it'll be like I think they normalize the hemoglobin there's like 13. one
1: or two people who've, who've like read that trial that are like no you missed this part but most people are like oh yeah that's, that's right that yeah. sounds good
0: usually I'm like eh, they normalize it to like around 13 that's
1: usually when you can tell I don't have my notes in
0: front of me and I'm uh-huh. just going off the dome <laughs> <laughs> That's when I don't have specific numbers going the, n- the, the number near the tree was around 45 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> something on there I think somebody looked it up it was 46 46 Idiot doesn't doesn't know how to do statistics, (laughs) but yeah, no, that was fun. Um, but yeah, so we'll keep you posted and as we kind of move along with this, and we'll see how everything goes. But see how it goes, hopefully, uh, something that uh, we can keep it, keep it, keep it rolling. Hopefully, it was a good review for everybody. Yeah, great. Anything else, man? That's all I got. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you guys so much for sticking with us this long. For those of you who have, and um. Well, I guess let's see because we're January is the the anniversary, right? Yeah, because the podcast we started in January twenty
1: eighteen. Yeah, so coming up on three three years. years. It's Whoa. crazy! I know, can't believe it. I feel like we should have made it by now, but you know, oh well, well we may, I mean, when you're calling pharmacies and people recognizing you, I mean, it's good enough we're for me. basically minor celebrities. Oh my gosh. I'd say D level. <laughs> D level. Yeah.
0: We're in the minors. Oh man. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and, uh, you know, sticking with us all this time and, you know, putting up with our nonsense that we do and talking for the first 10 minutes about nothing. For those of you who stick with us to that and don't leave mean comments on YouTube. We appreciate you. But um, no, thank you guys so much. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, anything, make sure you reach out to us over email, uh, which will be in the show notes. Uh, you can reach us on any of the social media platforms. Um, you can text us directly at area code 415-943-6116. Um, and also to thank you guys so much for uh, subscribing to the Patreon account. Um, I really hope you guys are enjoying the lectures for those of you who have checked that out. Um, but we got over a hundred uh, subscribers. Now, I think we're like 107 or something. Nice. So yes, thank you guys so much for that. That really helps. We're about to whip out some pretty cool things. I think uh, hopefully in January with um, hopefully getting a, a producer uh, mm. on the show and actually getting like multiple camera angles and a live. New Steve. Yes. A new Steve. Yes live feeds going and all kinds of cool stuff so we'll keep you posted on that as we go but that's a lot of that's thanks to some of the funding from patreon and stuff like that so i really appreciate it um if we can ever do anything to help you guys or you know anything at all from us definitely reach out we'll do our best to help or at least Cole will no (laughs) all right thank you guys so much have a great night have a great new year we'll see you guys in 2021 god willing (laughs) have a good one thanks